Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to the 162nd episode of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show has worked in IT for over 20 years after failing to become a writer and divides his career into three parts. The first third was spent building applications for the fast-paced online gambling industry. The second third maturing that business in third-line support and operations and the remainder working on container technology within the highly regulated financial sector. So welcome to the show, Ian Mile. Hi, good to be here. So first thing I wanted to do is ask you about maybe being a failed writer and why you actually transitioned into IT. Yeah, I mean, this is going back a bit. So uh, 25 years ago, I graduated with a history degree and had ambitions to be a journalist and a writer. And I got work as a journalist while I was a student. I actually worked at the Times for a few weeks on a sort of scholarship and kind of enjoyed it. But I decided that journalism wasn't really for me, that I liked actually writing. And journalism was more about the industry of churning out words. So I tried my hand at, uh, I went abroad for a year and taught English and tried my hand at writing a novel, uh, which I did, and then tried to sell it. Uh Uh, Pre-internet, interesting challenge. And with no contacts or any kind of real track record, I, I basically failed to to sell it to anyone or even get an agent to pick it up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, that was, that was that. But I kind of got that sort of out of my system and then decided that, um, well, this IT thing seems to be going well. I always liked computers. I was a bit of a geek as a, as a kid before I got into, you know, the humanities, the arts. And I had a maths, you know, I had maths A-level, was always good at maths. So I thought this is a good choice and um decided on that as a career and so at 25 i did a conversion masters at um, birkbeck college in london i uh, borrowed the money and and um never looked back really but you haven't necessarily left your um writing skills behind you've you've subsequently written books um with the technology slant to them yeah so i've come full circle really all that writing, doing the history degree and, and journalistic sort of training uh, has paid off because about five years ago, I got into Docker very early in its sort of hype cycle and um, was offered a contract to write a book um, based on, I think I did a video for another publisher uh, on Docker and, and that sort of got my name around. Anyway, long story short, I, I ended up uh, writing a book on Docker with Manning, and that was very well received. And following that, also, I just sort of started writing a blog. Actually, the blog came first, but the, the the blog sort of took off with the book. And now I just write for fun. I just write whatever I'm interested in. And I've written a couple of books that I self-publish on on Bash and Git. Yeah, the the writing's really sort of taking off i enjoy the blog and i do bits and pieces for for people who ask so it's really interesting to see how that's uh, paid dividends 20 years later 
Indeed, exactly. So um, are you writing another book? Is that on the cards at the moment as well? Um, at the moment, actually, I'm, I'm doing a, a couple of other things. Um, so I've got a day job, but but um, I have some time to spare. And I'm doing live online training with O'Reilly soon on Bash, following the Bash book I wrote. Yep. And I do bits of, of sort of technical writing for for businesses that need it. Right. As well as the blog. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I haven't got time really to, to, to work on another book. <laughs> um, I'm halfway through a Terraform book, which I'm I'm kind of waiting for the next version of Terraform to come out to, to continue. Oh, that. right. Good. Okay. So we're going to go into the flow of the interview now. So in terms of career tips, is there a sort of a top career tip that you can share with the audience, uh, one they may not know and perhaps should? You've got to realize that that you are you are a product. Uh, whether you like it or not, you're you're selling something within a market, and it's fine to just just continue your career and and not think about it about your career in that way. But as soon as you start to really think about what it is you want to do, uh, where would you like to work, what what are you selling to the market, then you can really expand your horizons. And for me, what what I sort of realised quite late, I worked at, at a company for fourteen years. And never really got out there. I never, you know, I didn't blog. I didn't go to meetups. I just sort of stayed in my in my little comfort zone, my domain. And I realised that um, a friend of mine actually advised me to read the ten day MBA. And he said, "Don't read the whole book. Read the first chapter on marketing." And I did. It was a bit of a revelation because it was sort of saying, you know, without marketing, you can't sell anything. So that's where the the business book starts. And I really thought about that. And I thought, well, who knows about my skills? And I thought, well, not, not many people. And so the more people who know about my skills, the more likely I am to get a job I like. So it proved. So I started blogging. I started going out there and giving talks. And I haven't, haven't really looked back from that point, really. So it's thinking of myself as something for sale has really helped me focus my energy in the right direction. So how long ago was that? And when you made, sort of made that decision to start putting yourself out there and write and, and obviously present is the other major aspect of it. Yeah, so I, I think the first blog post I did was seven years ago and no one cared about it. And I spent ages and ages writing that post. It was about, it was actually an, an analysis of Shakespeare's vocabulary. And that was a bit disheartening, but I actually thought, well, you know what? I've actually actually got something out of that. I've actually produced something that I can look back on and and, you know, I kind of got it out of my system. I wanted to write that for a long time and I, I got it out of my system. And I thought, well, even if no one cares, it's got worth going through the process of doing that just to kind of get it out of your system. And then I did it again and again. And, and you know, the, the figures for my blog were really, really abysmal if I was looking to get lots of hits for a number of years until it sort of really took off two years ago. So I guess I was doing it for five years before it took off. Yeah, the giving talks came a couple of years after the blog, and it was really when I'd developed a lot of things with Docker, and kind of was itching to kind of move on, and was ready to share my experience. Like many people, I was extremely tentative about: Do I want to actually stand up in front of a room full of people and and talk to them? You know, I know nothing; they know everything. I had all those all those feelings of imposter syndrome that that, that most people have. But I decided again, you know, what's to lose? I'll give it a go. 
and again didn't look back i i really enjoyed the process um i find it harrowing like everyone else i every time <laughs> i get up to speak i think why why did i agree to do this i want to run away but usually it works out fine and, and even if it doesn't go 100 percent well um i'll get something out of it and meet people and, and so on so again it's been it's been win-win for me i've really enjoyed that that process and of course it helps with you know finding in fact i got my job at barclays through that through giving a talk on docker right literally you know i got down from the stage and someone from barclays came over and said would you like a drink and you know a year later i was working for him (laughs) that's a good way of uh, networking then isn't it standing up in front of people and letting them know who you are well it's a reverse interview i think it's a great approach And, and you know i went to meetups with that person afterwards and he was talent spotting all the time and it was an eye-opener because you realize oh actually there's a lot of people who sit in the audience and just think you know this guy clearly cares about this clearly understands xyz i could use them so ian in terms of career we're sort of moving on to ask you about maybe your worst it career moment and what you learned from that experience well there are so many (laughs) um (laughs) I mean, I could talk about lots of war stories about, you know, bringing down live databases and things like that. But I wanted to talk about something a little bit more broad, which was that, you know, I I mentioned I worked for a company for 14 years and I joined as a grad developer and quickly made a a name for myself because I was quite driven. I I was relatively old for a graduate and I really wanted to prove myself. And two or three years in, I was given a chance to lead, technically lead a team that was going to build products. So we were a time and materials company and very good at that, I thought. And they wanted to build products to make, you know, make more money. So I worked in that team. Uh, I was sort of the technical leader of that, of that group. And we kind of failed, you know, over the course of a year to make it work. And it was a very chastening experience knocked my confidence a lot. I didn't really understand at the time what what, what had gone wrong. But looking back, <laughs> as many people say about these things, is you know, you learn more from that than you do your successes. Yes. Um it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. You know, you you your successes confirm what you already knew, which is that you were, you know, you you like doing X and you're good at Y. Whereas failing, you 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 missed something and you have to figure out what that thing is you missed. And in this case I learned a couple of things. So one is that, you know, the follow the money. Um, if you're working in a business and the business makes money from one thing, trying to make it culturally shift to making money some other way is really hard. So it was my first sort of experience of of failure to culture change. And that I've seen that pattern many times in many, many ways, and as everyone does across businesses everywhere. Sure, but do you think that was because did they move completely away from time and materials and and sort of go into more product delivery, or did they try and balance the two? Was it because they shifted completely? Well, I saw this pattern over the fourteen years I was there many times. Time and materials businesses struggle, as you know, to make money because they they don't scale well. Yes, and they they scale with with you know every new employee you make, you hope you can build them out for money, but. To make real money, you need to sell one thing a hundred times, and that thing should be exactly the same. It was a really good time materials company, but it couldn't shift to a product mentality because when you 
when you want to please the customer, you make compromises on your product. And that pattern did not change. So we built products and then they were just sort of bastardized for each buyer. And so the profits profits were lost. And I didn't have the experience to really push back on that. That's interesting. Yeah. The very first company I worked for, their whole business model was on a base or a core product, which then they effectively modified for every client that came along. So you had your your standard functionality and then every mm. client could then decide that they wanted something slightly different and therefore you supported I don't know I think it must have been over a hundred different variations of the same core product and of course the complexity and the amount of effort required to do that just sort of outweighs the business benefit it kills you it kills it you does. Um, at, but it's very hard to say no to someone with money in their hand yes so you, you, you see this pattern over and over again and it's something that you know uh, it's why we have this concept of a product manager now, which is so pervasive in the industry and ne- and rarely done well, by the way, because your job as product manager is to be an anti-salesman, to say no, to say we haven't got time to do that. We can't make that work for enough people. Um, so we're not going to do it for you yet. And that's a really hard message to send to your customers and they may go away. And that's a really hard message to send to your superiors. Indeed. Yeah. And the salesman, of course, as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean there was that and then also we did too much. I mean, I see this pattern again over and over is that we tried to build too much at once and that lack of focus meant that we struggled to make a success of, of the things that we did try and do. Right. Is there anything you took away from that experience that you've taken forward in terms of maybe your thought processes about how you do things? I mean, I guess if your strategy is not aligned with support from senior management then your effort may well be wasted and often when I'm working on something now if I see that it's not going to work on a strategic level I won't invest myself too much in it because I know it'll fail and I will instead work on trying to make that persuade the people who need to be persuaded that that it should work an example of that is, you know, I worked at Barclays for a long time and I learned from that experience that enterprises are slow. And I wrote a blogger post on this, which, which took off somewhat. Is enterprises are slow for a reason. And you have to understand that reason to actually affect change within it. And I saw a lot of people trying to do the wrong, trying to do the right thing in a way, but not understanding how that fit in with the, the strategy of the business. And if you're going to make change, you have to work with the grain or change the people, the decision makers that really count, change their minds. Those things are not easy to do. So moving away from worst IT career moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? There was one particular purple patch I had. Um, So I, I, I went from application development to third line support. So we, we ran a trading system. And it needed people who could fix code on live in real time, you know, bring bring sites up quickly, uh, make fixes that were robust, that kind of thing, deal with developers and, and, and quickly communicate to them what the problems were. And when I joined, we were about five people uh, with, you know, seven million pounds of contract or something to, to manage. Um, and we grew to 50 people in multiple locations. And I worked with my boss then, to manage that that team 
And one of the many things I learned from that or, or did did there was organizing the knowledge base in a way that it became part of the process of the operations team to maintain that documentation. And then we reduced the cost massively of that of that group and increased the productivity and general happiness of the team significantly by that effort. That involved me spending seven months full-time writing incident models or runbooks based on previous years' priority incidents. So it was a scary time where I was, I was spending literally all my time writing runbooks. And it took about four months, I would say, for, for it to gain traction. And once it gained traction, we started to see real, real benefits coming in from that. And in another three months, I could go off that project and it was self-sustaining. Learning about the difficulties of making that process embedded was a huge, it was a huge satisfaction for me, absolutely enormous to make that work. And also it reduced my stress levels hugely and and, and the rest of the team because um, you knew exactly what the state of the art was with, with the knowledge. You didn't have to worry about have I missed something you know, before I escalate this? Am I going to look stupid because I missed something obvious? That kind of thing. It was all documented and it was all maintained. Right. Yeah, that was a, a big highlight for me. Did you actually have to train people how to use the knowledge base you created or was it very intuitive? How did you do that? And that was one of the, the, the sticky points that we chose to So we used Jira as our issue tracking tool. And I was pretty insistent that we were going to have the knowledge base in Jira itself. Our documentation manager wanted us to have a separate section on Confluence with documents with an ID on it and so on. And I resisted that because I knew that it had to be co-located with the day-to-day work or it wouldn't work at all. And it was plain text. We Another lesson learned from there was that we had we, we came up with this brilliant schema for you know every possible scenario was covered by this beautiful document that we had the abstract document that we had that you'd fill out and actually people hated that because it was too constricting so we radically you know we slashed it to very simple description of problem overview of steps to resolve steps to resolve further notes end of structure and that structure was enough that it was useful to everyone that everyone could follow it um, but it was flexible enough that you know if there was a, if there was a particular way that an issue should be handled then you could expand it into a different you know take it in a different direction right um and it wasn't too top down then it was sort of here's the broad flow but you know if you want to be creative about this then then go ahead other people will tell you if they don't like it it was sort of allowed people to to really contribute significantly also the fact that we were all on call meant that we were very motivated to make that documentation work (laughs) yeah i presume it was open as well so people could make amendments and changes to it as necessary yeah and the dev teams loved it because um the first if you escalated an issue to a a technical leader on a development team first thing they'd ask is have you followed the incident model yep and if you said yes then they'd say okay great then i can i know where you are show me your notes and if you hadn't then you know you were you would, you'd been fully trained. Yes. Um, so th- it was a real, you know, it reduced stress levels enormously and it, it really highlighted to me how much effort it requires to actually have useful documentation and how beneficial that can be. 
that said, I, I tried to um, inculcate the same thing within Barclays, but I, I really struggled there because I wasn't really managing the operations team there. I was just trying to help them. So I, I put together a knowledge base for them and you know tried to make it sustainable. But I had no authority and no... I wasn't collocated with the team that was building it, so it sort of it sort of withered on the vine. Yeah, um, and that was another lesson. You know, that was uh, it's like, oh, I do need I actually need power to make this work. Yeah, power, yes, in in terms of authority and influence, but also the buy-in is the other the other aspect of it as well. Who who you're building it for? Yeah, I mean, everyone bought into it in theory, and I remember when we originally did the documentation within my team me and my boss were nagging people daily to update because they complained about the documentation being outdated they said it's your documentation you update it you know we had to inculcate that that feeling of it's yours you own it you maintain it if you don't like it change it it's not given to you in you know god doesn't put them on tablets of stone they're they're there for you to improve so ian can you perhaps tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? I guess it's, it's more or less the same as what I saw in 2000. When I went into IT, someone said to me a few years before that, you know, there'll be a computer on every desk, I think they said. You know, computers are everywhere or going to be everywhere. And they weren't at the time. I mean, mobile phones weren't really didn't really exist then. And I don't see that stopping. I see... You see it, the rise of AWS and you see how every business uses computing power in some way. I don't see that stopping and it's it's going to become more part of the fabric of our life, just like gas and electric are or reading and writing. You know, I look at my kids. My kids are at school. They're about 10 years old, 10, 11, 12. And computers are just part of the fabric of their education. They're, they're everywhere. Obviously, they Google everything and they cut and paste things from Wikipedia and, and so on. And it's, this is just how the world is to them. And it's just going to get more and more. We're going to have more and more devices about us and more and more ways to communicate and different kinds of computing. I mean, when I was when I started, it was three-tier architectures, database, uh, application server, yep. web server. That was pretty much it. You know, you still had your vestiges of of embedded computing and so on, which obviously still exists, but a more niche. But now it's such a broad field that opportunities will will be everywhere if you seek them. I used to worry about um, IT becoming not obsolete, but just, you know, we'd run out of things to write. I mean, it sounds crazy now, but I used to worry that we'd run out of things to do. (laughs) Um, But it it obviously doesn't work like that. It's more of an evolution. It's used. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. I think we partly covered this, but I'll ask it. What first attracted you to a career in IT? I'd always liked computers. I always liked logic and maths. But more than that, it was a toss-up between law and maths, uh, law and computing. And I liked IT because it seemed meritocratic. And there was always scope to learn more. Uh, in IT, you weren't constrained by being a specialist in a particular area, so that's what that's what got me into it. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? I think it was get organised. I got organised, properly organised, around the age of thirty when I I made a mistake at work, and it was basically down to my failure to to track 
or something um very busy you know running a, a support operation coincidentally i'd read the book getting things done and i applied all the principles of it and that's that's allowed me to freed my head up enough to allow me to do all the other things i've done to further my career and conversely what's the worst career advice you've ever received um a CEO once told me, you've got to go for the promotion to pay for the mortgage you don't have yet. <laughs> I think that was pretty bad advice. I think his strategy was get get me to get a mortgage that I would need the job and I wouldn't leave. It was an example of poor incentive management. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? I think I would change jobs more. It's another piece of career advice that I got. My mother told me that Madonna said, so I don't, I don't know how accurate it is, but apparently she said, once you've learned all you can somewhere, move on. Right. I think that's that's good advice. Uh, don't, don't stick somewhere just because it's comfortable. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I think expanding the, the writing side. I'm, I'm interested in, I'm very interested in what, what drives change within an organization. I think, a lot of people are interested in that, but it's something that I really think about a lot. But broadly, I'm just still trying to you know, get out there and, and meet people. And what do you do in your own career to keep it energised? Well, as I mentioned, I, I do bits of, bits of writing. I do bits of consulting. I think the blog has really helped me focus, allow me, allow, gives me a structure in which I can learn things to an end and then drop them. So, you know, I might I might give myself a task at home and rather than letting that drift, I'll actually focus it on, you know, if I can write a blog piece on it that's coherent, then I've actually actually learned it. And I think that's that's how I keep keep motivated. And what do you do away from technology? Not enough. <laughs> um, uh, I play guitar and I've just taken up drawing. I try and do things which are non-verbal if I can. I think that it helps to exercise that, you know, not so logical part of the brain. Yes, um, a bit more creative. Yeah. Um, well, I find IT work very creative actually, but getting away from from straight line thinking is really important because you, it is a lot of straight line thinking. So, Ian, can you perhaps share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? Yeah, it's something I, I heard from someone years ago and it sort of stuck with me. Um, and it's a very simple piece of advice, which is always good. And it said, when you have a choice between two things to do, do the thing that makes you feel slightly uncomfortable. So don't do the things that make you really uncomfortable. But if you feel this twinge of, can I really do this? I'm not really sure. Then go for that thing. Um, and you find that you, you expand your horizons pretty quickly when you when you do that. I mean, yes, you've given a couple of examples of how you've done that yourself. Is obviously that's something you've now built into the way you work and the way you look at things when they come before you. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the word "slightly" is really important. You know, um, you can push yourself in in an area where you're really uncomfortable, and then you know it's it's probably not for me. Like sales, you know, I've been pushed into sales many times, and it doesn't sit right with me. But something slightly uncomfortable usually means you know you should probably give that a go. And it might not work out, and it hasn't in many cases for me. But usually, I learn something from it, and that's you know that's that pays dividends later. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And finally, Ian, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? 
Uh, best way to connect with me is is Twitter. I'm at Ian Mile, I-A-N-M-I-E-L-L. And find out more about me. I guess my blog is pretty open book. It's very hard to spell. <laughs> so uh, it's called zwischenzugs.com, which is a German word meaning in between move. But yeah, that's that's the best place to find out more about me. Or, or LinkedIn, I suppose, is the classic place. Yeah, well, don't worry. The um, link will be on the show notes um, page on the website, so people will be able to find it there anyway. Good. Cool. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. A quick thank you again to my guest on today's show for sharing their career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. Now that there are three new episodes of the show every week, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss out. And don't forget to join the new IT Career Energizer community group in Facebook. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great to hear from you and to learn about your own career journey, your successes, opinions and thoughts on the future of the industry. Thanks for supporting the show. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.